All right. How we doing? Good, good. All right. My wife and I have been up since 4.30 because two cars filled with drugs crashed in our yard again. It's weird to say, and especially weird to say again. So, hi. My name is Tommy. Um, I'm the pastor, and I work hard on these introductions. I really do. Try to loosen everybody up. Okay, so um, we're only getting to verse 9 today. I actually have up, up to verse 15 on here. Um, but at the last minute, I decided people didn't want to hear me preach for two hours. So I cut it down to verse 9, and we'll go from there next week. Um, <clears throat> I'll pray, and then we'll study this text. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Um, you're a good God. You're a holy God, a wonderful God, um, a perfect Savior. And uh, we... We come before you this morning humbly, and we ask that you would fill us with your knowledge, that you would, you would, you would give us wisdom, give us discernment. Um, I ask that, that you would teach us some things we need to hear this morning. Um, give us first century eyes. Let us see everything in context uh, to the best of our ability, and, and um, let us understand the author's intent in writing these things. And then let us find a way to pull it into this 21st century world and apply it here, God. Um, just be with us this morning and, and encourage us as we walk through uh, and, and study your word, and, and let us all find something that, that, uh, that is like gold to each of us that we can hold on to. Thank you, God. Be with, us, be with me as I, as I speak. Bring uh, to my memory everything that I've studied, and um, uh, let me be clear-headed when I communicate, and um, thank you, God. In your name, amen. All right. <clears throat> so, uh, he's, Paul starts off in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 here. He says this, uh, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Um, he starts off, he, he has a message to give to them, and he starts off by mentioning what's been going on in, in, another, in another church, not too far away, really. Um, and so, I mean, this, this whole passage here is about generosity, and I know typically when people hear the word generosity, they think money. And so you think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass the plate 12 times and ask you to give a whole bunch, and I'm not. Um, Paul actually doesn't even mention money in this whole text. Um, and so uh, we're going to talk today about exactly what Paul talks about, generosity and grace. Um, so verse 1 tells us, um, it, it tells us really what this is all about. He says, I, I, want, I want to tell you about the grace that has been given. Um, and verses 2 through 5 really tell us several things about the Macedonians and what had happened and why Paul is coming to them and saying, have you heard about what's happened in this church? Uh, you need to hear about this. And he tells them. So let's, let's read about it. Um, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, and begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Um, so we can gather what's going on here. Um, it, it, <clears throat> we, we can tell that the church was extremely impoverished. Um, they were very, very poor. And this is really interesting because if, if you know anything about, um, about first century um, Rome, and, and especially the area that Macedonia is in, um, it was very wealthy. This is a beautiful uh, tract of land. It's uh, a very prosperous city. Um, this city is centered on the, on the plains of the Gulf, um, on the plains uh, just outside of the Gulf of, of Thessalonica. Um, a, a very big trade route. Um, <clears throat> it's, 
It's, uh, it, it was very famous for its timber, for its precious metals that dug up out of there. Um, it, it was a very, very prosperous, prosperous city. But obviously, the Christians were under, experiencing some kind of financial persecution. And if you've been with us, you've heard me talk about this. Um, when you became a Christian, you wouldn't be able to buy or sell in the Agora unless you first worshipped your worship of the local deities. Um, they were banned from buying and selling anything. They were banned from... Um, you know, working certain jobs, city official jobs. And so, like I said a few weeks ago, when you became a Christian, you had to possibly give up everything that you knew about how to make a living. Um, <clears throat> and so they were, they were under some kind of financial persecution, uh, if I can call it that. Um, they weren't being allowed to do any kind of business. Nobody would buy and sell with them. They were on their own. Um, they'd probably been robbed. Um, they'd probably been taxed higher than uh, sort of like the foreigner's tax. Um, they didn't worship the local deities, so they were taxed at a higher rate. Um, somehow the two connected in their minds. It doesn't make sense. Um, so uh, they were, but the interesting thing is, in all of that, they were incredibly generous people. They gave and gave and gave of what little that they had. Um, and Paul says uh, they overflowed in a, in a wealth of generosity that they gave according to and beyond their means. Um, and Paul literally says that they were begging him um, when they heard about the fundraiser that he was doing to raise money for the, for the impoverished church in Jerusalem. Um, so he, he's in Macedonia, and, and he, somebody kind of, maybe he lets it slip that, like, yeah, we're trying to raise money for that church. They're not doing well. And the Macedonians, the poorest of the poor church, they're begging him, can we take part in that? Can we take up an offering? And Paul's like, look, I, can we not do this? You guys are very, very poor. You, you need whatever little money you have. Why don't you just keep it? There's plenty of other churches. And they're like, no, please, please, please. And they're begging him to take their money. All right? Um, so to, to take it to the other church uh, to be used. Um, so Paul, Paul writes <coughs> a little bit in 1 Corinthians 16. Um, we studied this a while ago. He writes about what he was doing. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so that you, um, <coughs> sorry, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may, uh, as he may prosper, pretty much saying, if you did well, put more, um, so, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Uh, and, I, and when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredited by letter uh, to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So Paul's traveling around. He writes to all the churches, set a little bit of money aside every month, and I'll come pick up that money, and I'll take it to, to, to use to help the church in Jerusalem because they're just poor. Um, they need food. They need, they need everything. They need shelter. Um, so maybe Paul hadn't asked the Macedonians to take part in it because they were very, very poor, and he felt bad taking money from such poor people. Um, and Paul even, even talks about, about the way that they gave here. Um, oh, um, oh, you're not supposed to say that yet. That's, that's a secret. Um, he talks about the way that they gave in verse 5. He says, he says um, and this, not as, not as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God they gave to us. So there's several instances throughout... Um, uh, church history here and, and in, in biblical times here where, where the Macedonians have done things like this. Um, the Macedonian church, for some reason, really, really grasped the idea of grace and really applied it in their lives and were incredibly generous and gave to all kinds of people. Um, you have little, little pieces all scattered throughout the New Testament in the Gospels. Here's one of them. Uh, there's a man named Aristarchus. He did something really interesting uh, working with Paul. Um, Paul writes this in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is about the planting of, of the original church, how it went from Pentecost when Jesus ascended and sent the Holy Spirit into how the church was planted. Um, and embarking in a ship, um, 
of Adramidium, which was, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we, we put to sea and accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Now, if you read about this guy, um, Aristarchus, and what he did, um, basically, he was with Paul on his last journey to Rome. He had an incredibly difficult decision to make, um, and he made it out of generosity, because he was a member of the Macedonian church, and he knew about generosity. Um, and, and Paul was under arrest, and, and he was on his way to trial before the emperor. And the only way that Aristarchus could stay with Paul, the only way that, that the Roman, that in that culture, in that day, that they would allow Aristarchus to even stay with Paul when he was in prison, is if Aristarchus actually sold himself into slavery to Paul. So the guy actually gives up his legal right to be a Roman, um, to be a free man, just... He gives it all up and he sells himself. He's like, I have to stay with you. I have to stay with you. I want to help you plant these churches. Um, buy me. I will be your slave. Buy me. And I can't imagine what that conversation was like. That would be incredibly awkward. Um, and, but he, he's just, buy me. I will be your slave. We can be in prison together. I need to stay with you. I need to do this work. Incredibly generous people coming out of this city. Um, and another person, his name was, was uh, Epaphroditus. We read about him when we studied the book of, of Philippians. Um, when Paul was in prison in the later days of his ministry, he came, uh, he came to him, Epaphroditus came to Paul with a gift from Philippi, um, and there in prison, he became very, very ill. He came to, to bring aid to Paul, and he became very, very ill, and we read about it here in Philippians. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. Paul's writing this letter to the, to the Philippians. He says uh, they had sent Epaphroditus to help him, and Paul's sending him back after a while of being with him. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier <clears throat> and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you uh, all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was distressed because they heard that he was sick, not because he was sick. These people are incredible. Uh, indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on, on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Uh, I, am the, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking uh, in your service to me. Um, these people were doing incredibly generous things. And so after Paul tells them about what's been going on with the Macedonian church, um, he has a request for them. And here's what Paul says to them after telling them what's been going on in Macedonia. He says this, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Now, um, as soon as he says this, he says, Have you heard about what's been going on in Macedonia? I want you to excel in grace, just like them. And as soon as he says this, he takes a really quick turn um, towards Jesus. Watch what he does. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Um, and so you see, the big problem with this church was there was, and I've talked about this a million times, is their lack of unity. But the lack of unity is never the problem. You, you can't just say, you need to be more unified. Um, the reason that they lacked unity, there was a problem at, at the root of it all. The reason that they lacked unity was because they didn't fully understand the gospel. Uh, when a church isn't unified, when they don't have community, when they can't get along, when they can't reconcile their differences, it really means something down deep inside. Um, at the heart of all of this is their view of the gospel. And they didn't fully have an accurate view of the gospel in Corinth. Obviously, they were fighting constantly. They weren't ridding their churches of sin. They weren't trying to live holy lives. Um, and, and I want you to remember... Um, 
and I've said this before as well, to the extent at which you are obedient, to the extent at which you are Christ-like and, and, and being sanctified and, and living holy, really, I would argue that that is the extent at which you fully understand the gospel. If there's places in your life that, that are just habitual sins, that means there's something about the gospel that you have not pondered and you do not grasp and you need to go study it again. The gospel needs to be studied over and over and over. Uh, the story of Jesus and exactly what happened and, and the writings of Paul, especially in Romans, about, about what it means to have grace and be justified and what he did for you. Um, you know, and, and so Paul says it like this, prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. Um, Prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. And so the word he uses here, because um, we don't fully understand earnestness all the time. We don't really use that word much. Um, earnestness, is, it, it's this Greek word spude. It means eagerness. Um, so he says, uh, prove to me that you are actually eager to love people because I don't see it. Prove to me that like the Macedonians, when they were begging me to take their money and give it away, that you have this kind of eagerness because they do. It's because they understand the gospel. So I, I want you to know, I'm not sure that you fully understand it, so I'm asking you to prove it to me. Um, and notice, he doesn't tell them, you know, so the difference between really the Macedonians and the Corinthians, the Macedonians were eager to be generous, and the Corinthians were just doing what they were told. And that speaks a lot about what was going on in their hearts. They were just being religious. They were just doing exactly what they were told. Um, and notice, Paul doesn't tell them, um, like the Macedonians, I want you to give a lot of money. He doesn't tell him that, because that's not the problem. Um, the complaint that he had, that he had um, for the Macedonians was because they gave, even though they were impoverished of their money. They, they had no money, and, and they had very, very little, but they all wanted so badly to give. Most people today, um, they want to have more money, basically, so they can have nicer stuff. Uh, we want to have more money so that we can feel more secure. Um, the Macedonians actually wanted more money so that they could give more money away. When you get, this is a whole nother level of, of understanding the gospel that very, that very few of us have experienced. Just the desire, you know, I, I wish I had more money. Why, what do you need? Well, because that guy needs it. That's a whole nother level of understanding the gospel. It, it's amazing. Um, that, that's really what we need to get to. Um, and then the Corinthians, see, the Corinthians had plenty of money. Paul didn't ask them, I need you to give more money, because they could have easily done that. They had plenty of money. Um, the persecution was starting to hit them. We, we catch a hint of it. Um, but persecution hadn't really hit hard yet. And this is always interesting to me, because um, typically what I have noticed, and I don't I guess there's no way around it. People get upset no matter what you say. But I, here's what I've noticed. People who have, um, typically, in, in, in American church, from all the years I've grown up in the church and ministry and, and, and all this, um, people who typically have a lot of money, um, a, a lot of times are, are less, less generous because they're trying to maintain, and I've, and I've talked to people that were very wealthy about the struggle of this, um, they're trying to maintain a lifestyle that they're afraid they're going to lose. Um, people who typically have lost everything, um, it, it is a huge joy to give, so when, when you get a couple of dollars extra and you get to buy something for somebody, it feels really wonderful, and, and they just sometimes want to experience what it is like to have what other people have, which is wealth that they can serve with. And, and they want to feel useful in the kingdom. They want to feel like they can do their part. I understand this. Um, I, I understand this. And, and you know, it, it's... Sometimes when, when we see troubling times coming, we tend to be much more cautious with our money because we're afraid 
uh, of what's coming and what's going to happen. And Paul could have just told the Corinthians to write a check, but that really wouldn't have solved their problem because the problem was that wasn't, wasn't that they didn't give money. The problem was that they didn't understand grace. And so we're going to spend some time here talking about grace. You see, according to the Bible, generosity is not about money. Generosity has nothing to do with money. Generosity, um, it, look, it is very, very possible to have a lot of money and to give a lot of money away and to not be a generous person. It's very, very possible. Actually, it's, it's likely to have a lot of money, give a lot of money away, <clears throat> and not be a generous person. And, and people tend to think, ask the question, so how do you define a generous person? Um, look how much they give. That means they're generous, right? No, that doesn't, that doesn't mean necessarily that they're generous at all. Look, the Pharisees tithed. The Pharisees tithed a lot. The Pharisees gave like you would never believe. They gave in accordance with ancient Jewish laws, 10% of everything that they owned. Jesus calls them out at one point on this, and he says, but woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and love and the love of God. <coughs> Man. Um, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You see, these are the guys that Jesus, were so, that, that Jesus said were so serious when the Bible says to tithe, that to tithe all that you own, that they tithe everything. They, they would literally go to their spice rack and say, well, I have 10 mint leaves. This one goes to the temple. And they would put it aside and they would bring it to the temple next time they went. Um, and you know what? That, that's, that's not generosity at all. That's actually religion. That's, um, that's not grace. That's not love. That's, that's not generosity. Even though the Pharisees tithed, they were very, very incredibly ungenerous, and, and, and Jesus constantly calls them out on it. The Pharisees tithed with the, expect, with the expectation of several things. First off, that God, they would win God's approval. Second, that they would win man's approval. Um, third, a lot of the reasons that the Pharisees tithed 10% of everything was because the temple leadership had political clout. And they were more of a lobby group, honestly, with, with the Roman government. Um, they would have... They tithed so that the, that the temple would have enough money to influence Roman law and pass laws that were favorable to the Jewish community. That's not being generous. It's not wrong. It's not a sin. It's just not, it's not being generous. And if you think you're generous and you're doing that, you're fooling yourself. Um, you can't measure, measure generosity in money. Um, and the reason is, oh, thank you, water. Thank you. I'm putting it on the Steinway. I apologize. Don't hate me. I won't spill. Relax. Um, the, the reason that generosity doesn't equal, that money doesn't equal generosity is because there is a lot more than one type of currency. Generosity is, is when you are giving in all types of currency. You're gracious in all types of currency. Um, currency is something, is anything that is exchanged. Um, so what do we exchange? Um, well, let's look at, um, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of an example here, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about it a little more. Let's look at, at Matthew uh, chapter 19. Remember this little story where you read about it in, in maybe Sunday school if you grew up in the church. Uh, then children were brought to him, talking about Jesus, uh, that, they may lay, that he might lay hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid hands on them and then he went away. Um, so these children are coming up and their parents are bringing them up and the disciples get all upset. Why were the disciples upset about this? Well, really, Jesus was a rabbi. And he was there to teach his people. He was there to teach his people, to rebuke other people, to argue theology in, in their mind. Um, and he didn't typically have time to apply their hand at things that weren't fruitful. 
that didn't give anything at all. The disciples were incredibly ungenerous towards these children, and that's why they were so begrudging of Jesus spending his time with the children. It was seen as a waste of time. Nothing could come of it, and Jesus was being generous, you see, because he was getting nothing out of it. Generosity is when you give regardless of the fact that you get absolutely nothing out of it. Nothing. If you are radically generous, you will be generous in all currencies. Let's talk about some of these currencies. One currency I want to talk about is, 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 is you should be radically generous. And, and these are sort of questions. Ask yourself, is this me or is this not me? Um, all of us, none, none of us are, are completely generous. There's a lot of areas where we all are very selfish, and, and we need to look for these things, pinpoint them, and, and repent of them, really. Um, radical, are you radically generous in your physical or emotional space? Um, some people would be very, very happy to write a check, but the last thing that they want to do, really, ever, is to be personally involved in the situation. They just want to write a check. Here, this will fix it. I'll let the money do the work for me. Um, and they, they don't want to get to know people. They don't want to share emotional space. They, are, they call themselves private people. We're very private people. And it, it seems like a modest thing. You know, it seems like a, an upstanding thing to be. Well, really, it's ungenerous. We're ungenerous people. Um, their privacy is, is more important than their money. And they are unwilling to be generous with their hearts. We have to be generous with our hearts. Paul even said, our hearts are wide open. He said this over and over again to you. Um, are, are you generous in hospitality? This is a big one. We had a bunch of leaders in our church when, about five years ago when, when everything sort of collapsed and we were starting from scratch. Lots of our leaders were very, very generous with their homes. And it saved this church. And it saved the faith of a lot of people because they were very generous in hospitality. Um, do you let people into your home? Do you keep the curtain closed to them? A lot of people claim to be very, very generous, but they, they don't want anyone to scuff their hardwood floors. Be generous. Be hospitable. Um, how about your relational accounts? This is what we're going to call this. Um, and, and here's basically what this is. We, we all sort of mentally keep in our minds um, little sort of re- relational bank accounts uh, and people can pay into them or take out of them. And, and here's what this means. Somebody comes up to you and, and they say something rude that goes into your relational bank account. And uh, if there's nothing in there yet and the first thing they say to you is rude, they're, they're in the red. And, and, and the more good they do to you, the nicer they are, the things they, they work themselves into the black. You're doing good, all right. And, and you, we remember everything people do. And we, we sort of have these bank accounts in our minds of how people treat us. Um, and... <clears throat> And there are some people that owe you because you have given so much to them, relationally. There are some people who have been hurtful to you, and now they owe you some relational reparations, if you will. But a person who is radically generous doesn't hold any kind of emotional accounts. You can help people, you, you help people that wouldn't or didn't help you, that were rude to you, awful to you. You, you don't hold grudges. You don't punish people for how they treat you. You don't, you don't hold emotional accounts here. So the question is, what is really, really valuable to you? What is it that, that you are unwilling to share, to part with? That is the area of your life that God really wants to put the gospel into and say, do you know what I did for you? Do you understand grace, what it really is? These things that you want to hold on to so tightly, can they be used for my kingdom? Can they? Please? Can they stop being used for your own personal gain? And, and so in every city in America, um, there are people who, who, who need to feel grace. 
There are people who need to feel a lot of grace. Um, and oftentimes this can be experienced in, 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 in simple ways. I, I read an article um, about a month ago, and I saved it. It, it, it really was mind-blowing to me. Um, it, was, it was actually in, in the Huffington Post, and, and, and it was about San Francisco. This is San Francisco, in case you've never been there. It's beautiful. Um, now, San Francisco is, is a, uh, it's, it's a very beautiful city, prosperous place in America. Um, but there is a poverty crisis in San Francisco that, that people don't really know about. It's unfolding right before their very eyes. Right now, this very night, tonight, 6,500 men, women, and children will try to find a place to sleep in this city and will find nothing. There's not enough shelters. There's not enough places for them to go. They have no houses at all. They're not even remotely... Um, there's not even remotely enough shelters to, 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 to house them all. And to make matters worse, the shelters, are clo- the shelters close early in the morning, and everybody has to get up and leave. Um, and that's what shelters do. It's not bad. It's just how they work. They have to clean them. They have other services they have to offer people. And, and the people basically are, w- are woken up in the morning and told to leave, and they have to, um, they're left to wander the sidewalks in search of rest, food, jobs, social interaction. So the Huffington Post writes this article last month um, about, that speaks about this issue and what um, people of faith have been doing to combat this. Um, and in their findings, they wrote about how um, part of the craziness that you run into on the streets is, is, is homeless people. Oh, yes, sometimes there's, there's, there's drug abuse and there's alcohol-related abuse. Um, but, but honestly, a big part of it is severe lack of sleep. It causes psychosis. It causes people to, to, to um, hallucinate and talk to themselves. Um, and this keeps them from really... Um, ever getting their feet on the ground is it's severe psychosis that anytime they fall down they lay down to fall asleep they're woken up and told to keep walking um and so they just wander so there's this nonprofit um called project gubbio and it, it was founded around easter 2004 um by um by a pastor and and he named it um so project gubbio it's a fascinating name because um it's named after a town gubbio italy i don't know if you've ever heard about this um the legend of 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 Gubbio, Italy, where legend has it that the townspeople befriended this killer wolf into the town, um, and then they realized after they befriended this killer wolf that it wasn't actually a killer, it was just really hungry. Um, and, and so he calls this Project Gubbio, and, and he, um, what he does is he went to different churches downtown, and he devised different plans for each church, depending on what was going on right around their church, to offer a host of services to thousands of people who were forced to leave when the shelters closed in the morning. So, one particular thing he came up with in the middle of downtown where, where lots of homeless people were was a very simple way that downtown churches could help. So, he, he contacted, um, um, I believe it's a Roman Catholic church called St. Boniface, um, and, and, uh, and this is, I'm, I'm going to show you a little bit of a video. This is sort of what they came up with. So, make sure we got some volume and things down with it. It's funny, it feels a little different when you kind of humanize everybody, doesn't it? When you hear that they're just like you, they want the same things you want, had the same things you have now. Um, this was a tailor-made fix. You can fade it out. This is a tailor-made fix for um, this city. This was the problem that they had. And, and, and the churches, I, you know, a lot of times we'd rather debate theology with churches than actually partner with them and... and, and and serve people who need grace. Um, this is something that needed to be done. And this church, Catholic Church, opened up their doors to do it. So for nine hours a day, they let, their people, they let people come in and sleep. Um, it's a simple thing. It's not much. Um, so you may have 
I don't know if you're familiar with everything that's going on in our city. This is our city, Tampa, obviously. Um, pretty prosperous city here and there. Took a big hit when everything crashed, right, 2006. Um, our big problem is not necessarily homelessness. It used to be. It's not so much now. Our big problem now is, is really what is going on right over the river here in Sulphur Springs where we used to meet. Our big problem is um, low-income families that can't afford healthy food and get very, very sick. Um, their parents develop diabetes and, and, and obesity at early ages, and, and they die leaving their kids with no parents or to go live with their grandparents. Um, and the kids are growing up eating, because honestly, to eat a meal at McDonald's, you can feed your whole family for, for like $8, where the food that many of you eat, organic vegetables, fruits and vegetables, and, and, and we like to eat the best of the best, it's very expensive, and we will sacrifice to do that, but a lot of times people have nothing to sacrifice. And so one of the things that we've always seen is that, is that people need healthy options of food. And it's a simple act of grace. It's not, it's not going to save their souls, but maybe it'll draw them towards Christ. Maybe we can just find some way to give grace to them. So one of the things we're doing, maybe you've noticed our big mess out here. Dave talked about it earlier in our lawn. We're starting a community garden where we, we want to sell these plots, hopefully to everybody in the church, um, to plant fruits and vegetables and to give at least 10%, if not all of everything that you grow, um, to the church to distribute to the poor. Um, so that they can learn to eat better. So we're, we want to educate people on, on, on how to eat better and how to live healthy lives. And, 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 and when people ask why we're going to do this, we're going to say, well, because Jesus feeds us every day. He gives us our daily bread. He gives us everything that we need. And, and his grace doesn't end with us. We want to take it and give it to you. And this is really the only food that we have to give you. And we think it's really wonderful. Um, and... and this is simple acts of, of, of grace. You know, we want, we want to sell, maybe sell these plots to our community for a few bucks a month and ask people to till the ground to grow some food and give at least 10% of it to the poor. And, and, and you know, we come here every week to experience grace. We, we, we remind each other of God's grace. We sing about grace. We read about it in our house churches. We encourage each other through grace and, and, and through song and, and word. And, and we tell each other, that grace is the most important thing we've ever found, and there's really no reason that it should only happen on the inside of our building. Churches a lot of times have, have just land that just sits there and looks pretty, so and maybe instead of flowers, we can plant sweet potatoes like we did, and, and lemongrass, and maybe we, instead of just having a big field to walk around in and look pretty, maybe we could just grow some food for people. I don't know, these are just simple things that we're, that we're trying to come up with because we feel people need, to exp- people need grace. We want to be generous. You don't have money, you have hands. We can give you a shovel and some seeds. Something you can do. There's no reason that, that grace should only happen in here on Sunday mornings and talked about here. It should be out there in the streets. And my constant prayer is that what happens in here will bleed out into the streets, and this is the closest we can get to that street so far. And work our way down, right? You know, so last year, um, yeah, let's talk money. Last year, last year we hit our budget, and it was great. It was wonderful. We, we put a budget up. We said, this is what we're going to bring in, and we brought it in. It was great, and I was really happy about that. But, but then um, I was told something that made me really sad. Um, I, I read that only about 13% of the people that come here actually give a dime of anything. And I don't necessarily care about all of you giving a bunch of money. I, I care about you having generous hearts and understanding the gospel. And like I said, to the extent at which you're failing in different areas of your life, it, it, it talks about what you believe about the gospel. And so it kind of spoke to me and said, well, maybe they're not getting it. Maybe they're not understanding the gospel. And my hope was that maybe that 
the money that you guys have, you're giving to people, places, you're sponsoring missionaries, you're sending it overseas, you're doing social justice work, you're, you're, you're buying groceries for a neighbor who needs something, but my intuition tells me it's not happening. My intuition tells me that those 13% of people that are giving are actually the ones that are actually giving, and that's all. I, I hope you're giving somewhere. I hope you're serving somebody. I really do. Because if we have 100 members, which we do, that means about 13 people gave. And, and I, I, I want you to understand, like, it is a joyous thing to provide something for somebody, to, to take on the role of, of Christ for just a moment in your life and, and, and help bring, give somebody something that they didn't have before you stepped into their, their way, their path. It's really important to feel that, to exercise grace. When, you know, when, look, at, look at what Paul says here. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that, by, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus didn't care whether or not he had more. He gave everything. You know, when, when God exercised grace for you, he lost everything. He lost his glory. He lost his invulnerability. He lost his money. He was born into poverty uh, from incalculable wealth. He, he lost his freedom when he was arrested and sent to prison. He lost his clothing. The last thing that Jesus owned in this world was ripped off of his body and gambled over and given away. That was the last thing that he owned, and it was taken from him. You know, th- this is why when the scriptures teach that, that we are to visit people in prison, clothe the naked, give water to the thirsty, give rest to the weary, the reason we are told to do this is because Jesus was literally all of these things. He was thirsty, hungry, he, he was tired, he didn't sleep for much, he, he was tortured, he was imprisoned, he was naked, and, 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 and he ended up dying naked on a cross in the dark alone. Great, that was for you. You didn't deserve any of that. There's no way you even fathomed that you needed that. Nothing you could do to pay that back. You know, generosity, it hurts. It takes away from you when you're generous. It took away from the Macedonians, and, and they were joyous. And this is why Paul telling people, look, you guys are kind of miserable, and you got a lot of money, and you're giving some of it. Look at the Macedonians. They have nothing, and they're giving almost everything that they have and more, and they're happy. They're stoked to do it. Generosity asks you to give up something that is dear to you. It, it take, you know what it takes to be generous? It takes the gospel. That's what it takes. It takes an understanding of the gospel. It takes faith in Jesus. When you become a generous person, when we become a generous church, which I'm, I'm praying that we will be, our elders are praying constantly that we will be, and our house churches are praying that we will become a generous church, we will become an incredible force for good in this city that, that, that people have never seen. And there's been times in church history when God's people have awakened to the power that they have and the incredible things that have happened. And at the risk of sounding like a motivational speaker, um, you can be that generation. People can look back on church history a thousand years from now and say, back in about 2013, this group of people got together and, and, and changed the city. They were incredibly generous. And, and, and pastors will, take, will write letters to other churches and say, have you heard about what's happening at Watermark in Tampa? Have you heard about it? And I'm writing this to you because I, I want you to share in their grace. That could be us, easily. We take communion every week, and we're gonna do that now. Um, communion is a very sacred, wonderful, important thing to us. It reminds us of what Jesus went through when he suffered on the cross, and uh, 
and uh, we take a piece of bread, we rip it from the loaf, and, we, and it, it symbolizes the body of Christ. We dip it in the wine, it symbolizes the blood of Christ, and we take it, we eat it, we take it down inside of us, we say, Jesus, I do this in remembrance of you and everything that you did for me and the grace that you bestowed upon me, and we humble ourselves in front of him. And we take the gospel down deep, and we pray that maybe it'll touch the different places that the gospel has yet to touch inside of us. If you need someone to pray with while we're taking communion, we will have elders in the back, back there in the corner. Um, they would love to talk to you. Um, and uh, if you just need prayer for, for whatever, if you, if, if, if you, you want to confess something, if, if you want to um, get something off your chest, we will listen to you. And, and you could con- really if you find a brother or sister in Christ and say, I'd like to confess a sin. And, and, and we are the priests of God, all of us. We can listen to it and we can hear it and we can say, you are forgiven in the name of Jesus. Jesus has forgiven your sins. And let's repent together. Let's exercise community and generosity and and forgiveness and reconciliation. If there's something you need to make right with somebody, do it before you take communion. Um, If you're not a follower of Christ, I would ask that you don't take communion. You don't understand what it is. You don't understand what you're doing and how sacred it is. Um, But if you are a follower of Christ, I would ask, please, you don't have to be a member of our church. Take communion with us. Um, So we're gonna give you a few minutes. Talk to God. Ask him to bring things to your mind you need to repent of. Gladly repent of them. Get them out of your life. Don't go back. And then come on up and take communion with us. And then we're gonna sing another song. So uh, I'll close this in prayer. Father, we love you. We ask right now that you'd be with us as we go into a time of communion. Teach us to remember what you went through and the grace that you offered us. Thank you. In your name, amen.